While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. something yeah hit me um so i'm 29 right right you're like you're like 27 so you don't that's not true i'm 28 you're like 20 you're like 23 years old i'm 19 you don't don't have any frame i'm seven frame of reference i'm seven years old (laughs) but some people i guess do a list when they turn 29 where they're like here are 30 things that i'm gonna do oh yeah before i turn 30 and i don't really feel bad at all about not having a new year's resolution but i do feel like i should do something Uh uh-huh i don't know like maybe i should just make it a big list of goals that i've already accomplished like Get get married. There's a check. Sorry, I was drinking something while you said that. I would have laughed way harder. I like the idea of uh, turning 30 and just making sure you have a list of 30 things you did. Yeah, just like taking stock. Not necessarily making any goals for myself, but just making sure that I've achieved the goals that I set out to achieve so far. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we are making lists and checking them 30 times. Uh, what else would you put on your list, Andrew? You've gotten married. Um, It would have to be so like, I don't know, like I the cat continues to be alive. Like I have a life that I've that I've kept going. Okay, you have <laughs> So that's good. Yeah, you have not created life, but you have actively assisted life. I did buy life for $35 from a shelter. Not Okay, I had to <laughs> I got For some reason my brain was like, did that did he buy a real expensive box of cereal? Did he buy a collector's edition of a board game? No, I was referring to the cat. Yeah, I realize now. Um, um, you own a car, you lease a car. I own a car. Okay. I paid off my student loans. You own a pizza stone. I do own a pizza stone. That's, that's looking pretty good. It's, it's a pretty it good list. All, it looks all gross. It looks like you've used it a bunch of times, which is how it's supposed to look. Wait, when the you've list? Used it a bunch of Wait, times. the list or the pizza stone? No, the pizza stone. <laughs> Talk about the pizza stone. Try this, to keep up. This list is real gross. It's really used, this list. Um, I run, I own and operate a successful, successful-ish book podcast. <laughs> well, so, remains to be seen, I suppose. We got to get to the end of this episode before I yeah. really want to put the stamp of success on it. You got to make it. Okay. So that. what is, what is this show about? Oh, Cause God. we haven't done that in a while. And oh, then what, what are we talking about this week? So the show is, uh, about the books. <laughs> Why am I? Whoa. That was really difficult. Do you need some help? <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to put on my list uh, that I've made it through an intro for this episode. Um, so it's about books that we, one of us, have been meaning to read or decided to read because they're classics of some kind or uh, are from some genre that we heard we should take a plunge into. 
so one of us reads the book and the other person does not read the book. Uh, and we talk about it. And then you, the listener, who have either read or not read the book, uh, hear our opinions and then do something about it later uh, or don't. That's up to you. That's your prerogative. I want you to imagine that you are in an elevator uh-huh. with the the boss of podcast. You're oh, in an the elevator. Oh, the podcast boss. Oh, I've heard You're about the podcast boss. Yes. Okay. In an elevator with Robert Podcast. Yes. Oh, the nice inventor to meet you, Mr. of podcast. podcasts. Nice to meet you, Mr. Podcast. How are you? And he says, I'm going to make your podcast the best one if in the next 20 seconds you can explain to me what your show is about. Okay, has he and pulled out the, I, has he pulled out the no, stopwatch? Can I try I'm again? just saying that if I no, the the elevator ride is the is the stopwatch. If I were Bob Podcasts well, I'm asking, in that situation, then I don't think that you would have made it. Bob Podcast, give me a real shot right now. I didn't know that you were timing it. Let's go. This isn't real. This is a hypothetical situation. You are Bob telling, Podcast. Give I'm me using a good it, Bob I'm using Podcast it to tell voice. you how bad that introduction was. Dear Mr. Podcast, this is a show about the books that we've been meaning to read. Me and my friend read each other books, except not really read them. We just kind of explain them on the air, and we try to be funny about it because we don't really know a lot, but we hope to learn a lot. Thanks. Nice to meet you, Mr. Podcast. Have a good day. Thank you, young man. <laughs> don't I'm call me Bob Podcast. Don't call me Mr. Podcast was my father. Please call me <laughs> Bobbert. Yeah. I am Mr. Bob Podcasts the Third. <laughs> Esquire. I am a kingmaker. <laughs> I hold all the keys. Alright, you want to do this show? I guess. You I lost you a while ago, didn't I? <laughs> I'm not sure where we're going. I I we don't have a map. Google Maps is not working. My phone is not getting any signal. I have no idea where we are. All right. So you read a book this week. What was the book? I read Batman The Long Halloween, uh, written by Jeff Loeb with art by Tim Sale. But uh, they're kind of just kind of credited as dual creators, depending on what edition you're looking at. Uh, So, yeah, Batman The Long Halloween. It's a graphic novel. It's not a regular book. Like a like a word book. Well, um, it was it's it's one of those um, it's a collection of individual comic books. So this was a series of comic books that ran um, in 1996, 1997. I think it lasted for 13 issues. Yes, that sounds correct because they go back to Halloween. It starts on Halloween. It ends on Halloween. Yes, and um, it like chronologically and and Batman has been around for a long time, and so <laughs> talking about like the the chronology of Batman is really, really fraught, but <laughs> this happens pretty early, I guess, in in his Bat Batman career. <laughs> sure, like he had not been Batmanering for very long. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, so <laughs> okay. Batman was introduced in 1939 by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Bill Finger, that's a good name. Uh, and actually, there's like a whole distraught history between the two of them about how Bob Kane never gave Bill Finger enough credit. Uh, but that's another podcast, I guess, some comic book <laughs> podcast. Um, but and I was actually struck by the fact that they came up with the Batman driven by the death of his parents thing in 1939, like in all the way back in number 33. And every like every single Batman 
thing has felt the need to like painstakingly lay that out ever since. Like that, that's the thing about all these comic book movies lately is you, you've gone through like the first round of them and now they're all being rebooted. Like the reboots from the mid two thousands are being rebooted for the 2010s. And the first one is always the freaking origin story again. Like I still remember the (laughs) Spider-Man got bit by a spider and that's why he's a Spider-Man. I didn't forget. Well, okay. Allow me to... Just because it's a different guy. You don't need to... Sh- no, so... I'm not going to go into the theater and be like, wait, I didn't see this guy get bit by a spider. What's going on? Wait, this guy's parents weren't killed in an alley. I need to see that again. <laughs> um, Let me... Well, what if it's... What if you look at it this way, Andrew? What if superheroes are our modern Greek myths? Do you buy it? Do you buy that argument? I think that that is maybe that sounds like a person who writes comic books, like <laughs> trying to justify his career choices to his parents. But I might be wrong. Uh, at the very least, I see a similarity uh, between the constant retelling of the stories, right? Like sure. some of the myths that we have and, and other kind of heroes of lore their stories get retold over and over. I think we're kind of seeing the same thing with Sherlock Holmes lately, where it's like, oh, yeah, how yeah. many different ways can we talk about like how he's super smart and kind of an addict and has a buddy? Like that's what we need to know, and then we can tell whatever other story we want. Uh, so Batman's similar. His parents died. He's not. He doesn't have superpowers, and he looks like a bat. Done. Um, he's he's a Batman. Yes. So pri- <laughs> prior, do you want to jump back to Jeff Loeb and, and Tim well, Sale I'm, I'm, for a minute? I mean, there's not a ton to say. But. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I just want to kind of actually reference what you tried to say earlier. That was smart. Was that this takes <laughs> this takes place early in Batman's career, which kind of started with the reboot in the 1980s of Frank Miller with the Dark Knight Returns. Like they went through that whole like. TV camp period in the 50s and 60s and sort of into the 70s, which came out of the comics code where they didn't want comics to be like uh, grisly or have any, you know, unseemly elements or super violent elements. Right. Yeah. So you had the Adam West. Yeah. Yeah. And you had that. I read this thing where apparently Batgirl uh, and other like female Batman characters may have been introduced to tone down all the conversation about Batman and Robin being gay, which I think is like a weird argument that may or may not hold water. Um, So then coming into the 1980s, you have Frank Miller rebooting Batman uh, and then starting up this year one storyline, which is a book that I think. Yeah, because you have you have Dark Knight returns which is kind of a he's like old batman reboot yeah yeah it's like old batman and he fights superman it's weird like i i didn't really i read that one too and i didn't really like it and then in 1987 you have like a chronological reboot with year one which is as the name implies a uh a retelling of the first year of batman's career as a batman yes and then and then (laughs) i'm embarking on my life as a batman uh, and then the killing joke happens, which is another kind of retelling of the Joker story. And then the Tim Burton movies start coming out. And then we have kind of the modern Batman. 
which took like a weird detour with those crazy Joel Schumacher films with Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and the nipples and whatever. Um, but then in 96, uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale were asked to pick up the Batman year one storyline with the long Halloween. Uh, what did you what did yeah, you so have they, on Loeb and Sale, Andrew? Um, just that uh, they've worked together for a long time. They and they've worked on a lot of different franchises. So they've done some Spider-Man, some Superman, Hulk, Captain America, um, the Avengers, Iron Man, uh, Daredevil, and um, like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics. Sure, too, yeah, which I thought was neat. Okay. <laughs> um, and. Uh, Loeb does a lot of TV work, too. So he was a producer and writer for Smallville and Lost and Heroes. Man, Heroes was could have been such a great show. I know. And and Loeb worked on art for Heroes. And actually, the, the main font that oh, they used in that show is... Yeah, say, yeah Sale. Um, yeah, it was, it was basically his handwriting. Which is kind of cool. It was based on his handwriting. Yeah, and um, Loeb is currently the head of television for Marvel in charge of drama, comedy, and animation. So, yeah, I kind of like to. I I was surprised to find that they were not just DC guys. You know what I mean? I guess I don't know enough about the comics world to realize like how easy it is to maybe switch between yeah, those camps. I mean, I I assume you take the contracts you can get, but um, it's like be acting on NBC and then going over to CBS for whatever reason. I, I don't guess. know. <laughs> Um, yeah, Marvel, we don't, we don't need to talk about this a ton, I guess, but they're like movie TV engine. That's a well-oiled machine. Like they are capitalizing on that stuff in a way that, I mean, I don't love all the stuff that they churn out, but I think that the way that those movies and TV shows kind of emulate the, like the standalone stories and like the overall interconnectedness of comics. Like, I think that's, that's a really interesting. Yeah. Approach. If to I it. can, if I can find it again, I'll make sure I link to this article either on our Twitter or on the Facebook or something. There was a pretty interesting Grantland article a couple weeks back that was that shared a similar admiration for kind of Disney Marvel's twenty year plan for their films or whatever it is, and then also decried it as a slow death of risk taking in Hollywood. <laughs> Sure. I mean, yeah, because it <laughs> that's been dying for a long time. I well, think. and the bit one of the biggest knocks in in that guy's article uh, was that they're selling the hype more than the films themselves, and kind of like what you were saying, the the films are generally good or at least like generally well made. Uh, they're like C plus B minus movies most of the time. And, I, and I've you're not like mad that you saw them, <laughs> but you don't always remember what you saw. Well, and I've liked some of them more than others. Like I really liked Avengers. I, I know I liked it a bit more than you did, but uh, that's neither hither nor thither. I think what has kind of come out of that is people are real excited for that post credits teaser of the next thing. And then that's where Samuel L. Jackson shows up and tells you what to be excited for next. Yeah, summer. you won't believe this one weird thing Samuel L. Jackson says at the end of this <laughs> movie that you paid twenty dollars to see. Uh, so then it's like not even relevant that you saw a film that you might have liked. Um, you're talking about the next film, which is smart, I guess, but it's also yeah. kind of weird. I'll tell you, and nobody steal this. This is my joke. So if any of you start using it, I am going to come find you. <laughs> My go-to joke these days is like when we see a like an Oscar bait prestige film or something, when it ends, I'll always lean over to Susanna and I'll say, hey, do you want to stay 
till the end to see where they set up the sequel or do you just want to leave? <laughs> so we saw the Alan Turing movie and I broke that joke out. <laughs> It'd be great if it was just Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> showed up at the end. Alan Turing, we want you in the Avengers. <laughs> he would be pretty good at being an Avenger, though. He would be. He's a genius. He'd be a pretty good Avenger. And it's Benedict Benedict Cumberbatch. He'd fit right in. Yeah, they've got to work him in there somehow, right? Um. So before we get to this story, this particular yeah, story, we've been like, stalling long enough. Let's do it. I want to. I want to ask you how you found this book. Oh, it's a this particular. It's a one. pretty simple story. So that's and that's totally fine. I just it's going to be the start of a longer discussion. So just like oh, you're taking the reins on this episode. I like it. Just I like, like it. Just like roll with me. Uh, <laughs> a fan of the show, Eric, uh, Laura's brother, uh, gave me it for Christmas. <laughs> that's all I have. Cool. Uh, okay. <laughs> he was. He was. Uh, he's a big comic book fan and really liked our Watchmen episode and and. That was a really good example of just the power of that's the modern like you have to, if you need to a reason why graphic novels exist, go read Watchmen. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then this is in the Batman canon as one of the classics. So, right. Uh, he gave yeah. me this and Killing Joke. And this seemed to have a little bit more meat on it, uh, at least initially. So I picked it up. Why? Yeah. Um. I I was playing one of the Batman video games, one of the recent ones. I think it was Arkham Asylum. Okay. Which is probably the best regarded of, of all of, of those. The re- but, of the um, recent generation of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it made me want to get into the comic books. And the question is, like, if when you have this character who's who's, like, 80 years old or however old Batman is... Like, where on earth do you start? You certainly don't start at the beginning and then work your way up because that would cost a lot of money and be boring. (laughs) Yeah, I think if you had to read every 60s Batman comic where Joker said boner crimes or whatever he says, like, that would take a long time. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I found this one because it was on... It it usually appears alongside, like, Year One and um, Killing Joke... And a Dark Knight Returns as a good one for beginners to get into, like a good entry point into the Batman yeah, universe. Yeah, I would say so. I think one of the reasons for that is not only is it early in his career, but it's really not dependent on a central villain that you need to know anything about. Like yeah, you flip right through the rogues gallery in this one, as I recall. yeah. So I, I'll use this as an opportunity to kind of set up what the plot of the book is. Uh, anyone who's seen the Christopher Nolan Batman films will actually feel really at home in this book if they haven't read it yet, because uh, they used this and some of the similar graphic novels as a lot of inspiration for those films. Uh, it starts out with this mob family, the Fal- the Falcones, Falcones, Falcones. Um, I think Falcone. Falcones. Uh, having a wedding, and then one of the sons is murdered, and they're meanwhile Batman and uh Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Dent, the district attorney, are trying to bring down this Falcone crime family. The Roman is the the main guy, um, right? Yeah. Carmine Falcone. 
So from there on out, it becomes this murder mystery as various people in the Falcone family and the rival family, uh, Mark Maroni, excuse me. I thought it was macaroni for a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, the spaghettis and the macaroni. The Falcons versus the macaroons. Uh, <laughs> the Maroni family start dropping off one by one or five by seven. Like there are a couple grisly deaths in this one. Two by yeah. fours. Um, and you're not sure who the killer is, and it's, you know, we can talk about who it's implied, who it is, and whatever. But you don't really need to know any of that going in, which is great. You don't, it doesn't start with any presupposed history between Batman and some specific villain. Uh, and what's nice about how the, the rogues gallery, as it's called, of Batman supervillains or or bad guys that are locked up in Arkham Asylum, they get released for whatever reason or they escape over the course of the book. So there's room for Loeb and Sale to kind of work them in, but it's not like you need to deal with them for, you know, whole issue, you know, multiple issues in a row or anything like that. Right, because the breaking it up into 13 issues gives you a natural point to, like, bring a character in or, or get a character out of the story so yeah. yeah uh do you want me to just kind of dive into plot or what do you want to do um yeah i guess i mean yeah the the thing you were saying about how you didn't need to know a lot of specific stuff about the batman universe is what i think makes this a good entry point because you really you need to know that bare minimum backstory stuff mm-hmm but it's not going to take you all the way through that backstory thing again. Like there are only, I think there are only so many times you can make that story interesting. And at a certain point you just want a good story that doesn't throw you in the deep end, but also does not treat you like you've never heard of Batman before. <laughs> yes. Uh, and um, so the, the overall arc of this book is Gotham going from a town that's run by the mob to Gotham going, becoming a town beleaguered by these supervillains. So, yes, the crazy people like the Riddler and the Joker and Poison Ivy and whoever, they exist in this universe. They don't, like, own the town. They're still this powerful mob family. Uh, and so, in Batman, Gordon, and Dent's, like, quest to put all of the mob guys behind bars, they are kind of weakening the power structure of the town, uh, of the city of Gotham. Um, so it's... Yeah, I think that's... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go, jump right in. I was just going to say, I think that's the one of the more interesting things about about the Batman universe is this, this idea of it being kind of an arms race. Like, you have Gotham overrun by crime, and so you have a costume vigilante jump in, and then the bad guys say, oh, uh, we can do the costume vigilante thing, too. Yeah, or that they were already starting to do it, and now, like, they need to do it because they have someone who's like them out there already. Right. And, like, the institution is is being taken down, and it leaves a vacuum that they can then step into. Yeah, I, I'll, only, I'll try only to say this once more so that I don't become a broken record, but this edition of the collection actually came with a foreword by Christopher Nolan um, because he was making the second of the three films uh, when this edition was printed. So he points to this book as really 
innovating in terms of pointing out where Batman fits into what should be a conventional like police force structure. Like you have the middle management commissioner of Gordon trying to get things done. You have Dent trying to prosecute people as they're getting arrested or getting put behind bars. And then you have Batman who's able to go where those folks can't. Uh, What's interesting right off the bat for me as I was kind of researching Batman is the whole comics code thing that came out in the 60s and 70s. I did a little research on it. One of the first standards of the comics code is crime shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal to promote distrust (laughs) of the forces of law and justice or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals man and it's just fascinating because i feel like you can unpack that completely in this collection (laughs) like well, I guess I, by in that in that light, like Watchmen takes place in a universe where the comics code didn't exist. Oh, precisely. Yeah, because <laughs> all these people decided to imitate comic book heroes, <laughs> and then the whole world went to crap. <laughs> well, and one of the one of the later standards is that no, uh, you know, good always triumphs over evil, and all that stuff. And this book, Batman: Long Halloween, is much more of a tragedy than anything else. Like the mystery gets wrapped up, sort of, and we'll talk about that a little later. But it really is about the fall of Harvey Dent um, and the humanization of kind of the background characters around Batman. All right. So let's let's jump in with both feet. Tell me what happens in this particular In this particular book, uh, the son of Falcone uh, is murdered. Falcone. Falcone, excuse me. Son of Captain Falcon uh is <laughs> murdered and they uh, are trying to figure out who did it and it happens on halloween and he had testified he had threatened to testify against his uncle and somebody killed him <clears throat> now then a month later on thanksgiving so each issue kind of deals with one holiday at a time um a bunch of irish assassins are hired to kill harvey dent who I think Falcone blames his son's death for. And then all... Blames for his son's death. Yes, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Okay. I'm just going to keep popping in to correct the things that you're saying. That's fine. And then all of those guys die. Uh, And like whenever it's shown in the book, it's always in black and white and you can't see who's doing it. And they're murdering these people with uh, like a silenced 22 caliber pistol that has like a rubber uh like a rubber milk nipple as a as like a makeshift silencer uh, mm-hmm. and then they leave behind like a little holiday trinket uh and then another murder is done on christmas when the joker shows up and the joker wants to find out who holiday is because the joker thinks there can only be one homicidal maniac in gotham <laughs> and so the joker wants either batman or dent or uh, Carmine to solve it because uh, he doesn't want any competition. Yeah. So holiday is what they've they've begun to call this whoever this killer yes, is. Yes. Thank point. you. Uh, so from there, another of uh, Falcone's sons. Oh no, the, Falcone. <laughs> um, Alberto Alberto Falcone is killed on New Year's Eve. Uh, he's killed on a boat uh, at a New Year's Eve party. 
and then from there on out, uh, it becomes this kind of mob war of uh, Maroni's men and other Falcone folks getting offed. Uh, in April, the Riddler almost dies but isn't killed. Um, the man who was making Holiday's guns gets killed. Uh, and the whole time you're trying to discern is it I mean the book is really pointing you to it being Harvey Dent uh, Batman's worried it's Harvey Dent um, all of the criminals think that that's likely who it is sure uh, and meanwhile all of these other Batman villains are showing up like the Scarecrow shows up and makes Batman go crazy for a little while uh, Poison Ivy shows up and also makes Batman go crazy for a little while. <laughs> Everybody just pops up and does whatever their one thing is, and then goes yeah, away. pretty much. Um, and those folks are released by Falcone to, you know, achieve certain goals. Either you know take Batman out of the picture or uh, set lo- set them loose on Harvey Dent, and then. Um, from there on out, Harvey is kind of losing it, and he finds a connection between Bruce Wayne and uh, Falcone, and he thinks that he's going to like lock up Bruce Wayne for something um, mm-hmm. involving like money transactions, and Bruce ends up getting off, and that kind of rattles Harvey's faith in the system, and you, you start seeing him play with the, the classic Two-Face coin. Like the idea that justice is really just a flip of the coin. Uh, all of this kind of leading you to believe that Harvey Dent is very much likely the holiday killer. Yeah, and that was that was one of the more interesting thematic things in the book is um, like Batman doesn't tell anybody that he's Batman. Like Bruce Wayne doesn't tell anybody about his secret identity. It's It's very, very closely guarded, but in this particular case, like him working together so closely with, with Gordon and with, with Dent, I think he starts to wonder whether it would have been better to tell Dent. So he would not, you know, so he wouldn't have gone down that path. Oh right? yeah, like, definitely. If they just trusted each other a little bit more. They would have been stronger. Oh yeah. Together. Because as some of these guys start getting killed, you start seeing Harvey be like, yeah, couldn't have happened to a better guy. Like, Totally excited that these mobsters are just getting off, you know, off left and right. And Batman kind of has to hold his tongue or or fight back. And he can't come to him and be like, I'm also Bruce Wayne. I can, you know, I can approach this from another angle as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And Gordon, meanwhile, is just trying to keep his family together. Like he's got a newborn kid and he and his wife are just trying to like live their lives. Uh, which is kind of heartbreaking because his at one point his wife is like, "Why do you care? So we could just leave. We could leave Gotham. That would be great." And he <laughs> says he believes in Gotham City, and so he can't leave. Um, so I I want to get into a little bit of story like spoiler territory for the book. So if anybody plans to read it, uh, they should stop and come back like ten minutes from now. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Okay, what do you want to spoil? Well, I want to spoil the ending. I want to talk about the ending because I think it's important to the legacy of the book. I think it's one of the things that uh, folks talk about if they're fans of the book, and it's one of the reasons it has staying power. Uh, So it is revealed at the end 
that Harvey Dent is not the holiday killer. Uh, Mm -hmm. They do the classic, like, arrest the criminal and move the criminal so the real criminal comes after him ruse. Uh, where they have Sal Maroney, the rival crime boss, and they're moving him through the sewers, hoping that Harvey Dent will come after him. And it turns out that Alberto Falcone, Falcone's son, is actually the holiday killer and has been since he faked his death on that boat many months ago. (laughs) But what's unclear, and uh, Falcone can't, you know, clarify any of this, is that whether or not he was the original holiday killer. Um, and so there's this passage at the end after Harvey Dent has killed Falcone and then allowed himself to become arrested by Batman and Gordon. Uh, he claims that there were two holiday killers. And then you see this like solo monologue from Dent's wife, Gilda, who's actually a really interesting character that I haven't talked about yet at all mm-hmm. uh kind of confessing to some of the murders as she burns the clothes she was wearing and burns any other evidence um and her primary motivation she claims uh to no one in particular was that she wanted to like have harvey for herself and you know reduce his threat and workload um so she was going to kill some of these criminals for him basically yeah, the 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 position of um of Dents and of Gordon's wives in this book, and there's some of it in year one too. Is just like the strain. Yeah, like it's kind of a background yeah. thing in both cases. But the strain that them being out all the time puts on their relationships, and it sort of helps to to explain why Batman is a is a perennial bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like making out with uh Selena Kyle, who's Catwoman in this book a lot and then spoiler alert. Well, come on. Um there's like <laughs> scenes where Batman and Catwoman are hanging out and then the very next page it'll be Bruce Wayne like making out with Selena Kyle. It's very bizarre. Um you've got to think that you like, would think they would know. They would figure the it smells out. or something. I don't know. I'm like, oh man, you have that same weird thing on your face. Uh, but the wives of Dent and Gordon, yeah, they play a huge role um, because there's actually this really interesting scene around New Year's where Gordon, the Gordons are over at the Dent's house and like Dent is in the kitchen. Talk, he's about to tell Gordon that he wants to arrest Bruce Wayne. And Gordon's, like, standing in the doorway with, like, what is ostensibly the fireplace light behind him. But it kind of just looks like the sky's on fire. Like, it just looks like the world <laughs> is on fire in behind his shadow. And there's, like, the fridge light blaring on Harvey Dent. And it's just this really interesting, like, the previous page is the women just hoping that things will be okay and that their lives will be okay. And obviously, at that point, you don't know that gilda may or may not be one of the murderers but uh you have this isolated shot of harvey and and commissioner gordon in the kitchen that is really powerful um the way that sale kind of weaves in and out of realistic scene setting for this kind of stuff uh is pretty pretty impressive um so yeah i think the ambiguity of the ending from a storytelling perspective because 
there's like I think for me it's pretty cut and dry that Dent was not like Harvey was not one of the original two holiday killers, but there's enough you know people debating online whether or not that's the case that I think that's kind of fed into the mythos of this book. Right. Um I don't know what if you thought any diff- if you just kind of accepted what the book gave you when you read it. It's kind of what where it's I It's been am. it's been a long time since I read it, so I honestly don't remember if I had any additional suspicions. Yeah. On top of what the book was already throwing at me. Um was were there any other moments and this this is what's hard about discussing comic books on the show is um or or like we we had with the, the holiday episode a few weeks ago when we were discussing the kids book like it's harder to talk about illustrations in a podcast but in this case especially it's like half the book it is it's very much part of the of the heart and soul of this book so were there were there other moments that you ran into where the art really like made the scene or or like or made the moment. Oh yeah. Um so this is an origin of Two-Face and so there is a moment in the Welcome back anybody who like took that 10 minute break for fear of spoilers. Hey guys. Um we're talking about Two-Face. <laughs> we're talking now. about how Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face. Spoiler. Uh <laughs> there's this really wonderful courtroom shot. So they've brought this guy Sal Maroni in to testify against Falcone and and other folks. And Harvey Dent's really happy about it. And Maroney the whole time believes that Dent is a holiday killer, so he's going to, you know, actually double cross him. And it's the scene where in court Maroney throws acid on Harvey Dent's face, which turns him into Two-Face. Mm-hmm. And first you get this wonderful two-page spread of the courtroom itself, like very rarely in this book do you have more than 3 or 4 people in a panel. So to like see a full color realization of a courtroom scene is is pretty jarring to say the least uh and i'll say that throughout the book they really do a good job of kind of stingily using large panels to break up the rhythm i guess i hadn't really thought about that uh given that watchman was kind of stuck to a nine panel structure on every page uh this one is a little less strict about the size of its panels page by page. Mm-hmm. And sure. so sometimes it'll move pretty quick. The panels will be kind of small. And then every once in a while, like a big image shows up and just the literal time it takes to take that image in kind of slows down how you read. And I was just struck right. by that. Uh, yeah. But then the literal moment when he throws the acid in his face the entire background of that panel is just solid white, which I don't think mm-hmm. happens anywhere else in the book. Um, it's a very shadowy, moody book, so that kind of stood out. And then the exact uh, the panel right after that is a panel in negative of Falcone like blowing out some birthday candles, like ironically, um, or ironically from the author's perspective. So mm-hmm. you have this really stark, brutal image followed by something of a completely different color palette um which yeah. is pretty cool and and as i as i recall i mean like you said it's a very shadowy book and so um sale is in the early parts you know before before dent has become two-faced is doing a lot of stuff with light and shadow where half of dent's face is showing up at once or where half of it is light and half of it is shadow that that takes on a special kind of ominousness yeah it really pl- when you when you think about what's going to happen it really plays into the to 
forgive me, Andrew, going back to our early discussion, the Greek tragedy elements of this story in a way, right? Because sure. Dent is out to accomplish this particular goal. He's going to do it by any means necessary. It's almost foreshadowed. Haha, no pun on shadow intended. Uh, that this is going to happen to him if you know anything about Batman, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point, it becomes a how does it happen story. And not only is Loeb setting up this murder mystery and kind of weaving in details to point direction, you know, point your suspicions in a specific direction. But you're right. Sale is setting up these visual moments where you see Dent literally in Two-Face or in, you know, half shadow, half light, especially that scene I alluded to earlier when he gets the coin for the first time. He's like sitting in his basement. He's he visited his crazy father on Father's Day or whatever, and his wife Gilda comes down. And is like, "What are you doing down here? What you know? What happened today?" And you don't see his face that entire scene. You just see light on you know his arm or his bottom half or something like that. Um, yeah, and like I've I've never seen the TV show Gotham. Oh, me neither. No. But um, my understanding of it is like one of the primary criticisms is that everything is super telegraphed. Uh, yeah. Like the show will the show will bring on Edward Nigma <laughs> and it's like just dropping the stuff all over the place. Like, oh, it's the Riddler, guys. Guys, this guy's going to be the Riddler. <laughs> Look out. Yeah. And so there are like there are interesting ways to do that kind of. Um, foreshadowing and telegraphing and there are clumsy ways to do it and I think that um, Long Halloween is on the right side. Well the clumsy way is to telegraph it really big and then act like it was a surprise (laughs) you know like it's not like we spent a hundred pages casting shadows on half of his face surprise he's two-faced that's not not... (laughs) I bet you didn't know (laughs) No, but the way that the book is set up is that it's inevitable. Like, there's a wonderful opening panel where Gordon, Batman, and Dent are all on the roof, like, pledging to bring down the Roman. And then that panel comes back after he's become Two-Face and he's killed the Roman the Roman, and is ready to be arrested for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's this sense that it's always been, it's been inevitable. This was going to have to happen for this quest to be accomplished. Um, yeah, definitely one of those things where, like, every time you read it again, there's more stuff. You, you know, it's gonna turn out one way, but like, you still hope that it won't turn out. Yeah, that way, you yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, the only other thing I really want to talk about before we go, and if something else comes up, great, um, is <laughs> the visual style of the novel, graphic novel, whatever you want to call it, collection of comic books. I've seen criticized by some people because the designs of the villains like the the rogues gallery freaks uh freaks is the word that they use in the book itself are super exaggerated like really bizarre and crazy uh when the joker first appeared he really like not only is he stealing people's christmas presents which is kind of a nice touch (laughs) but he really he looks like the grinch like he's like really (laughs) kind of over over-exaggerated all of the elements of his art like he's super skinny and super long his teeth are all like four inches long and his chin's like jutting out way too far and his nose is humongous uh and then you see like batman in certain slides and his cape is like two miles long it's like 
like there, he's standing on a dock and his cape is like floating out to sea behind him. Uh, and then as the other villains are, you know, they start to appear, they follow a similar kind of absurdist visual style. Like the, the scarecrow does like his face doesn't make any sense. There's a, there's, <laughs> there's literally a panel where his face was like a ruse to spray nerve gas in Batman's face. And I had to stare at it for like 30 seconds where I figured out what the perspective of that panel was. Um, poison ivy is like this giant naked plant lady who's like flowers grow all over the panel that she's in all the time okay uh but the more human characters the actual mobsters and the cops are pretty realistically rendered like they're not over the top it's not a style that's through the entire book if that makes sense yeah, and I I think that decision is really great, but I guess I can see why people would take issue with it. Yeah, I I don't I I'm not quite sure why people were taking issue with it. I think it's neat, and I think it plays into what I said earlier. Uh, that is not an original idea. It's something that has helped me understand the book as I've been reading about it. Is it really is this passing of the torch between a conventional system of criminals to this kind of outlandish? crazy town that Gotham becomes at the end of the book. And and even Alberto Falcone says at the end of the book, like he's taken on the mantle of holiday and he gets locked up in Arkham Asylum across from Calendar Man, who is one of the weirdest Batman villains ever. Cal- I was going to try and bring up <laughs> Calendar Man sometime because in this book, it's funny because he doesn't really do no, anything. No, he's just Hannibal Lecter. But he's just Hannibal he's Lecter. Just- He's just mad that there's somebody else who is doing, like, calendar-based crime. Well, I also think, I think Calendar Man, we're going to go, just, all right. So what I said was the the art reflects the overall arc of of Gotham in this book. Cool, whatever. Let's talk about Calendar Man. Let's talk about Calendar Man. (laughs) I think Calendar Man is, like, one of the reasons he might work as a comic book villain is he presents crimes that can be solved. Like, because his crimes sure, yeah. it's a are, are innately a puzzle that orient on a specific theme, Batman and maybe the reader can solve them, you know? It's a sucky Riddler. It is a sucky Riddler. It's a Riddler He's with a rules. a sucky Riddler with a calendar yeah. thing, yeah. <laughs> well, and what's even weirder in this book is, like, I maybe I just haven't read enough Batman comics to know how crazy these people are, but, like, the Scarecrow and a tiny man called the Mad Hatter, like, run around for ten pages, and they just, yeah. like, quote weird nursery rhymes to each other, and the Mad Hatter's, uh, like, dialogue text is all wonky. It's like every other letter is capitalized. Like, I'm not quite sure what that's mm-hmm. supposed to sound like, <laughs> um, but it's really bizarre. It's really weird. Um the scarecrow doesn't make any sense. And then there's Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, who hang. I do uh, like Solomon, Solomon Grundy, Grundy born, born on, on a Monday. Monday. Yeah. He's just this giant albino man who lives in a sewer. Yeah, like the, once you get off the beaten path of Batman <laughs> villains, it gets pretty <laughs> it gets weird pretty really fast. It's really weird. My favorite, the reason, one of the reasons I like Calendar Man is because he makes me think of this, um, this villain from the Venger Brothers, which is this cartoon. I mean, I know you know yeah. what it is, but I'm explaining it to everybody else. It's this cartoon that's kind of a pastiche of um, like comic books and Johnny Quest and all this like over the top superhero uh-huh. stuff. But everybody in it is pretty bad yeah. <laughs> at at doing what they do. And so there's this um, 
there's this calendar man spoof named Mr. Monday who just wants to do everything on Monday all the time. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we go, I, I just want to share one more thing that like a struck me funny from the book, like a thing where I think the book may have misstepped a little bit. Um, sure. So Batman throughout the book, he talks to other characters, right? And he's pretty terse, but he has these inner monologue moments that are these kind of purple boxes where he talks, you know, in just self-narration for whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. It's usually him reminiscing about his family or talking about how much he loves Gotham. or It's it's a way to catch the reader up for each issue also. Mm-hmm. Like in, and I think this is a this is a trope that Loeb busts yes. out a lot, is the, is the monologue in the square yeah. boxes. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a weird way to, like, read this book uh, straight through and have every chapter be like, here is the villain who did this, like, this time on the long Halloween. Definitely happens. Uh, <laughs> but right at the end of the book, when the rogues gallery is in Falcone's house and they're, they're going to kill him, Batman, like, bursts in from the ceiling. And there's this awesome panel where he's surrounded by, like, ten smoke grenades. He's riding a ceiling panel onto Solomon Grundy's head. And this is the first sentence of the box. My father had an old dictaphone. He kept it in his study. He would make recordings. And you're like, <laughs> what is this panel about? Like, it goes on to talk about, like, his father was a surgeon, and it's all about, like, removing problems one by one or something. It's kind of over the top. But the panel itself, to me, always read as super comic, because, like, Batman is in color, and everything else is, like, washed out in smoke grenade gray. And he's burst. I just imagine him bursting through the ceiling being like, my father had an old dictaphone. <laughs> he kept it in his study. He would make recordings. I could. I wonder what would happen. Yeah. If you did like a Garfield minus Garfield thing where all of Batman's internal dialogue was stuff that he was just saying out loud. <laughs> I remember a picnic once where we ran out of marmalade. What did Batman? Batman, what are you talking about? <laughs> I left. I called you up here to talk about crimes, not marmalade. <laughs> My favorite candy bar is the Mars bar. Batman, stop it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's Long Halloween, I guess. That's Long Halloween. If you if you like, oh, it, you've read the other ones, um, right? You've read more. Yeah, they. Well, I I haven't read. They did two other ones. One was like a compilation of Halloween. I think it was Halloween themed stories and another one was a Catwoman story. But um Long Halloween and then Dark Victory is the direct follow up that is not as good but in the same and vein. And it introduces Robin, right? That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if you like that then if you like this then then go on to that. Cool. Uh if you want to tell us your favorite Batman of the last 80 years or 90 years or whatever, you can send us a Facebook message at facebook.com slash overdue pod or a tweet at twitter.com slash overdue pod or even an email over at overdue pod at gmail.com. A couple folks sent us messages over the past week. We want to thank them very much. Uh, Jessica, Colleen, Dina all reached out on Facebook. A bunch of other people were commenting on recent episodes. Thank you for that. Uh, Tom and Lee reached out to us on Twitter, uh, and we got a new iTunes review from Book Chris, uh, who found our Fifty Shades episode pretty enjoyable. So, uh, thanks, thanks for that, Chris. Andrew. How did Book Chris find our iTunes page if they didn't use uh, iTunes natively? 
he may have gone to overdue podcast. Could have been a she. Could have been a she. Oh well, book. How, how was K R I S? Okay, may have been. That person may have gone to our <laughs> internet website at overduepodcast.com. Um, up there we have you know the iTunes links. We have an RSS link if you choose to subscribe that way, and we also have a Stitcher link, which is uh, new as of a couple weeks ago. Um, up on that website, we also have Amazon links that you can click, and uh, if you click those links, buy the books or buy whatever else, we get a little bit of a cut of that, which helps defray hosting costs and other things. Um, we have gotten a couple requests, I think we mentioned this last week, about um, other ways to support the show, and we've got some things in the works now that we, we should be able to tell you guys about in the next couple weeks. So um, sit tight. We're pretty excited about it, and we just we hope that you guys are too. Yeah, that's uh, that's about it. Next week, we are doing... Another choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, we promised we wouldn't inundate you guys with them, but we're pretty excited about this one. It's called Secret of the Ninja. Uh, <laughs> I have my copy. I'm looking at it right now. It promises 29 endings. I'm not sure how many we're going to get to. Uh, it also, on the back, has like a branching story path. Um like pr- promising how many oh man i'm so excited okay so okay. tune in next week for that after that i'm gonna read s- we're gonna lean real hard into character yep. voices i think this episode uh, i'm gonna read some sort of important play for the following week uh, <laughs> i'm doing some research on that all in preparation of our 100th episode uh so we're trying to trying to get ready for that just gonna be an extravaganza and again we mentioned this a couple weeks ago but if you guys have any specific overdue stories that you wanted to share or even record yourself telling and send in like do that maybe we'll put it on so the show yeah come, so we can ring in our 100th episode in, in grand fashion so yeah um i think that's it that's right? it that's all i got solomon grundy born okay, on everybody <laughs> um if you're a calendar man you already know that we're coming back <laughs> next monday um And until then, everybody, you should try to be happy. What's happened to me? <laughs> what ha- what has happened no, to you? No, I don't you? mean. <laughs> what? I don't mean... You went so downhill. What what went wrong? I don't. I, that's not what I meant. But <laughs> I guess I I guess now that you bring it up, I'm wondering I'm wondering that too. <laughs>